This was recorded at the 19th Chinwag Live event, Micromedia Maze, held at AdTech London on September 24th, 2008. Featuring on the panel Umar Hack of Havis Media Lab and Bubble Generation, Miles Lewis from Last FM, and Nick Halstead of Favorite, with digital media consultant Steve Bobrick chairing. It was sponsored by the UKTI and AdTech London. The event was produced by Julia Island and Chinwag editor Deirdre Malloy, part one. So today... We're missing one speaker, the near-legendary Ivan Pope, who I, he might show up at any moment. And having known him for a very long time, it's quite conceivable he might, he might descend down a rope into the, uh, into the room. So, but today, we, we're going to start... I'll tell you who we've got to begin with. We've got Umair Hat from Havas Media Lab, but also from this legendary blog-slash-micromedia phenomenon, uh, the bubble generation, Correct. Yes, still running that? Still going? Yes. Uh, an expert not only on the whole business of social media, but especially for today, the purpose of today's event, uh, what we're calling micromedia. So we're talking about the, the, the widget end of the sort of technology spectrum. We've got Nick Halstead from, f- how do you say it? F- oh, okay. From favorite, but it's like favorite, it has some dots in it. And you're going to learn a little bit about the, this social bookmarking phenomenon and about the way that uh, their twist on it uh, um, uh, is relevant to you guys in your, in your industry. And then we've got Miles Lewis from Last FM. And Last FM have, a, if, you've, if you've visited Last FM's website lately, you'll know that they have their own sort of quite rich set of widgets, either built by yourselves, yes, but also by third parties, fans, and enthusiasts. So the subject today is widgets. And I just want to start by saying that um, let's just try and provide a tiny sort of three-minute bit of context for widgets. The compulsory poll, obviously, not this poll here, which is fantastic, isn't it? It's so nicely positioned. Um, No, the compulsory poll. Hands up if you've made use of a widget, either a desktop widget or a web widget. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's very good. So almost universal kind of take up there. Not quite, not quite. Hands up if you've authored, developed, created, invented a widget of any kind. Yeah, another small handful, a reasonable handful. That's good. That's interesting. So we're not in the kind of complete vacuum we were a year or so back when there was a, 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 or two years ago perhaps when we first ran this session when there was a real kind of mountain to climb, an explanatory mountain to climb as to what they're for. The reason I'm interested in them, I suppose, is because they're a little bit, for me, they're really a fulfillment of a lot of the promise of the net itself. Now, obviously, the average widget, which is displaying the weather in your locality for the next five days or something equally parochial, something equally uh, trivial, doesn't necessarily cry out, you know, I'm the future of the web. I'm what you've been waiting for. I'm the, I'm the, 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 the end point of the technological curve of the last 20 years. It doesn't really say that. It doesn't sing out the importance, does it? But it is quite important, mainly because I think, well, actually, I'm just going to use an analogy. One of the things I'm sure a lot of you in the room will be aware of is that we're just coming to the end of uh, uh, the, the, the period uh, on the internet during which IP version 4 was the dominant version. Now, if you, if you know anything about the way the internet works... You know that underlying all of those websites and, and uh, email servers and so on 
there, is, there are a couple of fundamental protocols, two of them, in fact, TCP stroke IP together. And the most important one is called IP or Internet Protocol. And we're coming to the end now of the phase during which version 4 was the, was the main one. Now, the reason we're coming to the end of that is because version 4 contained the potential for a certain number of uh, IP addresses on the Internet, a certain number of endpoints, PCs, devices on the Internet. And we've essentially run out of addresses in the IP version 4 namespace. So, actually, quite a long time ago now, more or less a decade ago, a new version of IP was began to roll out. It's called IPv6, IP version 6. Don't ask me what happened to version 5. Nobody knows. The, the, the principal difference between IP version 4 and IP version 6, actually there are lots of difference, differences, but the, the important one from our point of view is that IP version 6 expands the namespace and it increases the number of devices that can be addressed on the internet from this relatively trivial, I think it's about 2 billion or something, that's supported by IP version 4, to a number which is 2 to the 128th power. This is such a large number that it creates potential for, you know, well, I understand that, what, I don't understand why, I, why this is necessarily relevant, but Wikipedia tells me this means that we'll be able to assign 2 to the 52nd power IP addresses to every visible star in the universe. It's not clear why you'd want to do that, but it's interesting, isn't it? That there are so many of them. And the reason why I find it interesting is because it represents a real fulfillment of this tendency that we've seen unfolding over the last five or ten years, which is towards literally everything being connected to everything else. And it's to, what we're seeing is a huge explosion of endpoints on the Internet. The Internet is literally exploding from being one or two billion rather boring sort of beige-colored PCs to being literally billions of devices, everything from uh, your mobile phone to the RFID tag in your ID card, and to, to every single one of these devices can now own its own address in cyberspace. What it means is we're seeing a fantastic profusion of endpoints, interesting, intelligent, useful new endpoints. And important in that long list of endpoints, as they're called on the Internet, we're seeing a, an explosion of tiny special purpose applications, which for the purpose of this event we're calling widgets. And these widgets obviously have every kind of function from delivering advertising to delivering content to accepting user input to being the pointy end of an application running on a server somewhere else. And we're going to learn a bit about what they're for today. So what I'm going to ask each of the three guys to do in order, starting with uh, Nick from Favourite, is to give us between five and ten minutes. If you run out of steam, don't worry. If you've only got seven words, I'll be upset, but I won't show it. Um, that's fine. But give us a few minutes about your take on widgets. If you've got a specific application that you'd like to tell us about, that would be great, because practical examples are terrific. And then we'll go along the row, and at the end, we'll try and fit in as many questions as we can. Go ahead, Nick. Okay. Hello. So, favorites actually a blog aggregation site and widgets are actually very important to us because we're in the, the blogosphere, we're a small company and our outreach, uh, our PR budget is zero. So to get any kind of traction from the rest of the internet, we need various methods to get coverage. So we do that via 
blogging in general, but widgets play widgets do play a massive part because a, a widget I always view as a widget is is can be any part of a website. It can be uh, there's lots of blogs out there where the commenting on a blog is actually a widget that's being delivered from another service. So widgets can be from um, just simple lists of people. You see my blog log, which is probably one of the biggest. Uh, widget services in the blogosphere, they have, I think their widget installed on over 300,000 blogs out there and they probably have billions of hits on their, their widgets and that's very uh, viral in nature. So for us as a company we wanted a way to, when we produce content, to let our users then distribute that further afield. So to do that you need some kind of platform that can deliver the widgets and a way to allow your customers to customize it so they'd actually want to put it on their own site. So you'll see on a lot of social media sites the ability to, if you see a list of like the top 10 something on a site, you'll be able to click through and then go, oh, well, I've got my own website. I'd like to actually put this on my own site. Click to go through and you can then customize it. You can colorize it, you can style it, and then deliver it onto your own site. And your reasons for doing that can be manifold, but People like Dig and Reddit and a lot of the other social sites uh, use this in a very viral way because then other people who then visit uh, those sites with those widgets on see them and then decide they want to install them. So it really does build up very quickly. So we ourselves have uh, widget systems that let us deliver uh, most popular lists, um, most recent uh, comments within our site, a whole range of things. So, and that's. They, they really do virally build up um, because we just allow people to see them on our, the list on our site and then decide they want to then share it on their own sites. Can you do me a favor and just revisit what you were just saying about your widget? Tell us a little bit more about it, what it's for, how people get it, where they install it. Because I think it's really interesting a little bit detailed because yeah, we sure. up front take for granted that people know how these things work. Let's just learn a little bit more about it. Perhaps also, if there's some economics in it, tell us about that too. Sure. Well, favorite's all about finding the best blog content out there. So we wanted to make a range of widgets which exposed what is the most popular on favorite. So if you agree with what's uh, popular on favorite, then you may want to install that. So the experience is that you can literally see the top 10 list. There'll be a little button along the bottom that says uh, install this widget on your own site. It takes you to another page where, as I described, you can redesign it so that it fits in with uh, your own website. And that's literally a cut and paste of HTML from our site into your own website. So it's very, very simple to do. As long as you're using a, uh, some sort of CMS system, uh, a blogging platform, all of them have the ability for you to move widgets from one place to another. iGoogle, other kind of endpoint uh, solutions um, that take these widgets are very, very easy to take from one site to another. From a commercial point of view, we, we don't make any money directly from the widgets we deliver. We just get traffic because anyone who sees our widgets on another site, if they click on any of the links on that widget, then that drives the traffic back to us. So it's really a, you know, a traffic generator, which then, in result, means we generate revenue from the advertising on our own site. Give me a sense of what people are, uh, uh, 
for instance, how many people are using it, and do you know what impact it has on traffic? I, it's numbers that we've probably got a couple of thousand sites uh, running our own widget, and uh, we've only been running a couple of months our whole site, so the, the growth has been very, uh, been very high. And the great thing is it gives you a lot greater outreach to probably markets you may not normally have because we, we get a lot of our traffic via Google. It's quite a uh, broad audience. We also, because of the sector we're in, blogging, we get a lot of traffic from uh, the all kind of the other social sites and the, the early adopter tech sites. But the widgets get installed out onto other websites that then are, have a totally different audience that we may have. So it's great for actually bringing in uh, a, you know, a different uh, demographic. But what's the benefit that uh, a website owner gets from installing your widget? The, it's, it's one of those things people, you know, it's like installing a dig widget. It's, it's you know, there's, they, they may just want to, they enjoy the service, so therefore we, we are just offering a service to their customers that are going to their blog, so they, they go to that blog and uh, see our widget. So it's in a way just them supporting us. We, we don't have, we have uh, widgets that let you have related articles, so you can supply us a list of keywords and we will then send back to the widget any articles related to those keywords. So you can attach that to any of your own uh, blog posts, and then uh, if your blog has, key the, the post has a load of keywords that describe it, then we will generate uh, other, key, uh, other links back to that post. So it gives the end user a reason to then click on to you know, more content. Right. That's good. Um, so can the end user, a user of one of your partner websites who've installed your widget. Can they actually use the widget? Is there application functionality exposed there? So can they favorite a website? Can they drive the application from the widget? Or are they really just getting information from it? Well, this is something we haven't launched yet. We have a widget which can be delivered onto any web page that uses our, what we call, attention tracking. And that's literally the ability to see how many seconds anyone is spending on uh, a particular page and then can vote. It's a bit like a dig badge, where a dig badge, you literally press the button to dig it because you say it's good. We have a similar thing where we can deliver that experience out to sites. So the difference is we can then track exactly the number of seconds anyone spends on any particular site, and so that gives analytics uh, and a whole load of other things, but that's, that's not launched yet. Right, okay. Right. Um, I've been grilling Nick in that way because I kind of want to prime you guys in a sense that uh, if, if, if there are issues that you need to uncover, if you need to find out specifically why people create and install widgets, what they're for, where they're going, what the logic of the widget economy is, you know, come back to us with questions when we get to the Q&A part of this, okay? If you're absolutely desperate to ask in the meantime, just shove your hand up we'll sort of insert you neatly into the flow, Okay. Now we're going to move on to Miles. Now, Miles from Last FM, and one of the things I find interesting about Last FM is that I don't know how many people do this, or even, even whether people do, but I think it's perfectly possible to experience the entire Last FM experience without ever visiting the site, isn't it? I mean, you, might, you, can, you can soak up quite a lot of Last FM's application functionality, content, and so on via this network of widgets. No? Yes. Thank you. So now you may speak. 
Um, quick show of hands. How many people here have used Last.fm? Shit, excellent. Okay, um, so we have a, a major, major um, uh, relaunch that happened earlier on this year. Some of you may have, may have noticed it. Um, and it's absolutely right. We have about 21 million users worldwide um, and about 19 million extra users through our widgets. Um, they're all coming through in a, in a variety of ways. There's a, a site that's um, attached to Last.fm called build, B-U-I-L-D dot last.fm. And it's our gallery of widgets, and they uh, are all built predominantly, as we mentioned at the beginning, um, by the users um, for non-monetary reasons, just because they love building widgets. And they match together a load of different uh, um, sites, and obviously one of the most popular to match is Google. So for instance, you listen to, to your music, um, you take your profile, you put your profile name into this mashup with Google Maps, and it tells you where the artists you've been listening to are playing around the world, and we'll post them onto a map. Very, very simple. Um, and then we have the, uh, the listening map. Um, take your friends that you, you have who are attached to you via listening habits um, and find out where they are in the world. So, of course, there's, there's many, many different ways, but the fundamentals are that um, it's all about a change. All about what? It's all about a change. So at the moment, it's very, very simple to, to access our servers and access all the music you ever need via a widget and never have to visit last.fm. Um, but obviously, the huge problem with that is we can't monetize you. So um, it, it's become apparent that unless, because we have to pay every stream, unless we get you somewhere online to create a proper profile on last.fm, we can't pay the music rights. Um, and that's a big issue. So. So very shortly is a, is a huge development coming on. We're not going to close any of them down, but there's going to be a way that we can get you back to Last.fm to get an eyeball um, and in some ways to get advertisers to pay for that privilege of hitting you. But that's the only way, especially with music, because music is such a nightmare with the publishing rights, with the record rights, um, and streaming rights around the world. And in every country of the world, we're in 220 countries, we've kind of lost count, um, every country has different laws. Um, so our music um, legal team are extremely busy, 24 hours a day. Um, so the fundamentals are that there's over 350 active widgets, um, and they, the 19 million people who have come through at the moment can have a small widget on the desktop and fly through to our servers and listen to music uninterrupted and enjoy that experience. And that's also appearing on the, um, the iPhone as well. Um, if you've got an iPhone, you may have seen it. It's a last of them download. Again, if you're in a Wi-Fi area like this, you can stream your music for free on the iPod. So we, uh, on the iPhone. So we've got to try and work out again how to, how to monetize that. At this moment in time, um, you may be aware that last of them has been bought last year by CBS. CBS bought CNET. So we're now part of C CNET Networks UK. Um, and there'll be a lot of developments on that score in terms of, of how the monetization of the site continues. But um, the redesign in, in July has absolutely helped us um, in terms of streaming rights. It's helped us with our, our record deals because we are going through a huge spike in users. And amazingly, the, uh, this, is a, this is an interesting fact, um, because of the success of Mamma Mia, Ab Abba is now our fourth biggest artist, up from 236 months ago. Kind of worrying when we have a young audience, but um, they're kind of finding Abba, which is um, always intriguing. Very interesting. I guess what's happening there is that uh, the, 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 the terrifyingly hip Last FM crowd 
it, it, it much too young, actually, to, ever, to have ever experienced ABBA. So they're being reconnected with this classical moment. They think it's a new band. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a new band. Great. Dancing Queen. Great song. Yeah. I think it's very interesting you've said that there's a, a movement, because of this very complicated rights environment that you existed, to actually draw back from the kind of widget sphere a little bit here. Because, of course, the trend that we're observing elsewhere in less encumbered environments is we're, just, we're seeing this continued explosion where, where website owners, content owners, and so on, are driving application functionality, content, and interaction out to, these, to this, this cloud of endpoints out there in the websites and on the desktops of literally millions of users. And that's really, that's, that is literally reversal of the trend. Well, it's, 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 it's less about reversing the trend. It's more about maybe building a bigger widget so we can get an ad in it. <laughs> you know? Or it's, it's about, about having the widget so it, it, it makes you come to last FM or it makes you actually build a profile. Yeah. Somewhere on the line, if, if we have a little bit of data on you, yeah. um, if you're in London or Helsinki or Sydney, then we can sell that to an advertiser. Yeah. The issue at the moment is it's been, up, it's been pretty blind. Um, so yeah. we don't know if a user is in you know, Marrakesh or London. So if user X visits a, a blog or a website where there's a Last.fm widget installed, can they click and stream right there? Yeah, it's called um, Last.fm in a box. So the, the way this works, I mean, it's a, a product we launched um, to commercialize um, our web services agreement. If you have a website, you want some music, up until two months ago, you could have put a Last.fm widget on it, and as people were shopping or viewing or reading, consuming, you could, they could play, you could play music for free, and we would pay the streaming costs. But of course, it was very expensive for us. So we've produced Last.fm in a box, which means that you're allowed to click on a link. It will open up the Last.fm player. It will put an, a commercial message next to it, which can be any commercial message. It could be bought by the client or whatever. Um, and that can be then obviously minimized while that person continues their, their journey on that site. But we've at least got an ad there, or it's been skinned, or it's been bought. Um, and that's the way we commercialize the, money, the, the stream for music. Right. So, uh, and so how does that differ from the other widgets that your users are either creating or dragging out of your website? Um, that's the first proper commercial widget. It's a widget with a business model embedded yeah. in it. If you want to see it, it's on GameSpot.com and it's for Rockstar, Rockstar, the, the, the guitar hero, guitar hero, that's it. Um, got there in the end. And uh, it's been, it's, it's all um, branded with guitar hero and there's an ad in it. Um, and that's the first one that launched, say, about four or five weeks ago. Um, in terms of the small widgets, in terms of the, you know, the, the Google map mashup with your username to find out where the bands are playing, um, they still exist, but because they're, they're, um, they yeah. existed before, we've got to try and work out how to monetize them, how we'll change them, and maybe we'll change them in two different ways. Number one, if it's been produced by an individual um, as a hobby, then actually leave it uh, because it's a hobby and it appears on build. Number two, if a commercial um, entity comes in, any client comes in and goes, I want to use this, then we, we uh, put a monetary value on it because obviously it's going to get more users. Because more than likely, the individual widget, because it is kind of micro, hence the reason why we're talking here, is probably going to be used by less than 1,000 users. And in reality, how much music can those people really consume through a widget on their PC? 
it'll, it'll, it'll be relatively small. Um, so there's, there's a parallel universe going on. But if, if I don't know, a, a good example is, you know, if, if Rockstar the game, um, I can't remember which game manufacturer makes it, wants to come in and, and, and commercialize a stream of, of tracks that they have in their game, then it's going to be a lot more users and a lot more streaming and a lot more costs associated with paying the record labels for uh, the rights to that stream. So to just correct me if I'm wrong, summarizing your strategy with regard to widgets, it's actually essentially an advertising strategy. It's essentially about producing downloads for the last FM application, sign-ups for the service, visits to the site. Yeah. End of part one, Chinwag Live on tour, Micromedia Maze at AdTech London on September 24th, 2008, was a Chinwag production, sponsored by the UKTI and AdTech London. For more information, please visit www.chinwag.com.